and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Horse and Hound podcast supported by Charles Owen. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, hopefully you've all been getting some spring sunshine this week and it's finally stopped raining wherever you are. I've definitely enjoyed getting out walking in the sun this morning and the rest of this week. On this episode of the podcast, we speak to young Grand Prix dressage rider Annabella Pidgeley about her whirlwind journey taking on the ride on Charlotte Dujardin's former ride, Geo. I mean, it's been incredible. It's definitely been challenging. You know, I've had to really step up my riding from last year. He's definitely pushed my riding to another level. We also hear from British Equestrian Trade Association Executive Director Claire Williams, who clears up some mysteries around helmet standards and what to look for when buying a new helmet. So what do all those numbers at the end of standards mean and what do all the letters mean? I'm going to talk you through how the standards are made and why it's important that you can actually understand how they're going to make you safer. So without further ado, zip up your boots and let's get started. I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor at Horse and Hound, and I'm really excited to be joined today by Annabella Pidgeley. 18-year-old Annabella is one of the most exciting young dressage riders in Britain at the moment, with a string of brilliant horses, including Gio and Vamos Amigos. And despite only stepping up to Grand Prix level herself relatively recently, she's already making an impact at top level, with three Grand Prix wins at the recent Addington CDI. Annabella, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us on the Horse and Town podcast today. You've enjoyed a whirlwind of super Grand Prix results with your horses over the past few months, I know. But right now you're actually focusing more of your time on a different kind of challenge, aren't you, with some exams coming up? Yeah, I'm currently on study leave because my IB exams start on the 28th of April. So, Oh my gosh, yeah. so coming up fast. And what are you studying? Just tell everyone what you're, what you're studying and, and sort of what subjects you're doing. So I'm studying IB, so it's different from A-levels. Um, it's the International Baccalaureate. Mm. And so I'm studying standard level maths, Latin and sports science, and then higher level business management, English and psychology. Oh my gosh, it sounds very intense. And yeah. I know there's lots of riders out there who do a fantastic job of juggling studying and exams and competing. But um, I'm not sure so many do this while competing at senior international level as you are now. How do you manage to juggle your workload um, and the horses? It's definitely not easy, but I have a great team around me that help and support me. And combining that with being really organized and having, you know, I have a top groom that really helps me and has the horses ready. So whilst I would love to do it myself, when I'm a bit time pressured, you know, rushing home from school and then having training, it's really helpful to have that extra support. And I'm really grateful to have that support team, which does enable me to do both things to quite a high level. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, it's it's never about the one person, is it? There's always a team, a team around top riders to um, to help you sort of, you know, juggle everything. I imagine you get up pretty early in the morning. Is that is that right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, if the only time that I have for training is early, I'll be up training super early. And alternatively, there have been days when I've had morning exams, so I've been up early studying to try and get the studying in before I then finish my exam and come home to train. So. It is oh about gosh. <laughs> that organisation and that sacrifice of getting up early. But I do love it and I do really enjoy it and I'm, I'm grateful to do both. 
Yeah, of course. Um, enough about your exams. I'm sure you'd rather chat about your wonderful horses and you have some really, really lovely ones at the moment. Of course, there is Gio, who is also known as Pumpkin, uh, whom you purchased from Charlotte to Jardin back in 2021. I know you spent the first sort of few months that you had him taking things really easy and just getting to know each other. And that that time seems to have really paid off because the two of you have been doing so well over the last few months since you've been getting into the ring and competing. What has it been like learning to ride a horse like him? What has it been like getting to know him? I mean, it's been incredible. It's definitely been challenging. You know, I've had to really step up my riding from last year, only being competing in juniors to this year competing senior Grand Prix and at the end of last year. Yeah. But I mean, he's the best horse to be able to learn from. He's really shown me the way and he's really helped me to learn how to ride the movements correctly. And he's definitely pushed my riding to another level. Okay, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I think, as you said, you know, it's, it's easy for some people to forget, I think, when we watch you ride, that this time last year, if I'm correct, you'd never ridden a Grand Prix, had you? And no. I think, was it less than three years ago, you were still competing in ponies? Yeah, yeah, I rode my first Grand Prix, I think, in October time. Um, and then I did Aintree High Profile. And then from there, we went straight abroad to Holland to compete internationally at seniors. So, I think, as you said, the last time we spoke, I was traveling to Charlotte to ride him while she mm. still oversaw a lot of the training. So I think setting those foundations and those roots really early in our partnership with the support of Charlotte have definitely helped us down the line because we had such a strong foundation from the beginning that we've been able to build on that. And then the scores have started to really improve now. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely seems that way. Um, and you still train the Charlotte on, on Pumpkin, don't you? Yeah, I still train yeah. Charlotte on all of them. I see her once a week and then she comes to all my shows. Amazing. And I mean, what is Charlotte like as a trainer? Obviously, she's such a fantastic rider. I imagine she's brilliant to train with as well. Yeah, she's honestly incredible. She's so supportive and she's really inspiring and everything that she says, you know, she's very good at explaining the logic behind it. And she's just so talented. And I think that also really shines through in her training. She's definitely I think you can see it in like in the results and in the horses the way that mine and pumpkins partnership has developed even watching the videos it makes me so proud to see us in December when we were in Holland compared to Addington and that's a result of Charlotte's amazing support helping us to really gel together as a partnership yeah I'm sure um and have there any been any sort of particular challenges with learning the Grand Prix work because of course it's it's you learning to ride the Grand Prix. Um, has anything sort of, have, have you found anything particularly tricky that you've managed to overcome? Is there anything like that that you've, you've sort of worked through with her? Yeah, so I mean, the Grand Prix comes up much quicker than any of the junior tests. Everyone says that. And it, it's definitely true having, you know, ridden it now quite a few times. But I would say, I think many Grand Prix riders would also agree with me, the zigzag is quite tricky because it's it's so complicated for one mark. Yeah. But training with Charlotte has definitely helped me to really nail the zigzag. And I think we really improved at Addington scoring quite highly for the zigzag. And that's definitely a result of Charlotte helping me to break it down and to set it up correctly before putting it together, going down that center line and then asking for the full zigzag. That's quite a key part of her training. You know, mm. we break things down. The same thing with the pirouettes you know we'd start with a working pirouette and then we would make it smaller and then we would go down the center line it's never just down center line do the zigzag it's always talking about the preparation and all the components needed to make it a really super movement 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess that's where, as, as you were, sort of that, that patience really comes into it. It must have been quite tempting to want to sort of jump on Pumpkin and go straight out and compete him. But, but laying those foundations seems to have really paid off for you. Yeah, definitely. In the beginning, obviously, having such an exciting horse, you know, joining my team, I was I really was like, I want to have him home. I, I want to just get to know him. And Charlotte was like, it was a really good idea to, you know, keep him there and her oversee the training because I'd only ridden juniors. I, I honestly have, I wouldn't have had an idea of what to do in my training with a Grand Prix horse so early on in my career. And it was important that I recognized that. And then Charlotte helped me to develop the skills so that when I did take Pumpkin home, I had those skills to know what to do more with a Grand Prix horse than obviously a junior horse is just one flying change. With the Grand Prix, there's so many movements to start to train. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it must have been quite sort of overwhelming, I guess, to suddenly suddenly be faced with all these new things to learn and, and all these new challenges. Um, but yeah, as you say, I imagine the combination of Pumpkin and Charlotte was uh, a bit of a winning one. And you still do you still train with Catherine Dufour? I think she's been your trainer for a lot of years now, hasn't she? Yeah, I do still train with Catherine. Obviously, it's a bit trickier with her being in Denmark. Of course. We do try to do online training, but I definitely think that now that, you know, COVID is over, I've definitely seen with the in-person training, you do just pick up on those finer details. And now riding at the higher level of Grand Prix, I think those finer details are the ones that do really matter and make a difference. So I am still training with her, but I would definitely say, you know, I'm trying to get her to come over more than focusing so much on the online training. Sure. Yeah, of course. And of course, it was it was Catherine who rode uh, your sort of newest horse to your string, Vamos Amigas, to Team Gold and Individual Silver for Denmark in 2022 at the World Championships. And not too long after that, he came he came back home to to your yard, didn't he? Obviously, you, you did own him at the time. I think we all loved watching Vamos in action. Um, over the summer he was a really exciting horse to watch tell us a bit more about him now he's based with you um, and you're you know you've taken over the ride what's he like I imagine he's very very different to Pumpkin yeah he is different to Pumpkin I mean Vamos is a really cool horse we bought him as a six-year-old so it's been such a fun journey from when I got on him when I was really young when we tried him to then Catherine having him because obviously I was only I think I was 12 or 13 so I was in no way prepared as a pony rider to have this big, you know, super moving horse. So then Catherine did an amazing job in training him from a six-year-old all the way up to levels. And then after herning, we felt that it was, you know, the right time for me to take over the ride, which had always been the plan. So then having him home has just been amazing. Um, he's a really fun character to work with. He's very hot and he's very willing and I love his willingness to just go. He's always asking, he's like, do you want more? Do you want more? And I, me and Charlotte always saying, no, Vamos, just, you know, <laughs> you're doing amazing. But it's, it's so cool to work with a horse that, you know, he really looks to you for confidence and in the ring, that's really nice because you can really support him and be there for him. Whereas Pumpkin is a bit more confident in himself and you can just mm. see that when he goes into the ring, he's smiling at the audience and he just absolutely loves it. Whereas Vamos, is always look, looking for you always listening to you and he's like is this okay and then as soon as you reassure him you can feel him really confident he's like yeah I, I have got this that's amazing yeah. yeah I mean that must be so rewarding to yeah to ride a horse that you really can sort of communicate with in that way and you really can feel the difference um and he sort of responds to you in that sense um obviously as you said you've you've owned him for for a while and, and obviously you've been watching uh Catherine spend a couple of years competing really successfully on him what what was it like sort of <laughs> cheering on Denmark and presumably Britain simultaneously over the last couple of years 
Yeah, I mean, it's been great because it's amazing to support Great Britain, you know, seeing Charlotte on the team and herning and do an amazing job and all the British riders doing amazing with Lottie now winning and herning and, and all of that. But then whilst also supporting the Danish team a little bit because obviously we wanted to see Vamos doing super. But I mean, it's been great because there's been so much success and it's so nice when you see everyone close to you's hard work really paying off. Yeah, absolutely. What I think so impressive is how sort of maturely you've taken over the ride of two very famous and successful horses and, you know, really, by the looks of things, just got on with it and, and really been focusing very much on, on you and them. How hard has it been to, to do that, to maybe to cope with people's reactions, expectations, obviously a lot being said on social media? How, how difficult has that been? I mean, initially... Of course, it is not nice to see people writing mean things about you, especially with Vamos, where, you know, it was always the plan that I would take the ride on him. And whilst it was amazing that Catherine did so well, and I understand that people felt quite attached to their partnership, of course, there were so many people that were supportive. And while there were a few people that didn't understand, you know, why I had, you know, now decided to have the ride on him I just try to focus on all of the positivity and at the end of the day I just try and focus on me and my horses you know what like I I have the ride on him now and it's amazing to just be in our bubble and focus on our training because I'm definitely on a different journey than Catherine was with him and I'm on a different journey with Pumpkin than, than Charlotte so I just try and focus on myself and just you know I'm so grateful to be able to have such amazing horses that I don't want to let the negativity impact that. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand. And tell us about some of your other horses you have at the moment. You've got a lovely mare as well. You've been doing some young riders on, is that right? Yes, Espe is mine. She's nine now. And okay. I took her to the Europeans last year. For That's June. it, yeah. Yeah, where we got team bronze and then an individual bronze and an individual silver. I started riding her last year and she was also, we've owned her since she was six and she was training with Catherine. However, I took over the ride on her when she was eight to start campaigning in the juniors. And now this year, she's made a super successful debut in Young Riders, getting 75% at Addington. And so at the moment, I'm currently just playing around with a few of the harder levels. You know, I've got a taste for Grand Prix now. So I'm just playing around with making those full pirouettes, doing a few ones here and there and just trying to develop her in that way as well, whilst of course also focusing on the young rider work to campaign mm. like young riders this year. How sort of tricky is it to juggle senior Grand Prix and young riders? I mean, yeah, pres- presumably you have to sort of switch your mindset a little bit before you go into doing a young riders test or, or, or not really? Yeah, you definitely do have to switch your mindset. However, I definitely think riding the Grand Prix, in, which is obviously much harder than the PSG, has definitely helped my me riding the PSG because things do come up much slower and it really has helped me to, you know, now I, now I have a whole short side to prepare. I'm really preparing and I'm really setting up the movements. Um, mm. I definitely think that riding at the Grand Prix really does develop your riding and I'm trying to use all that I've learned on my Grand Prix horses, on my other horses, to try and develop them and develop my tests at PSG. So it really is great. Yeah, I'm sure. And do you still have Sultan, the gelding you you won? Uh, it was double individual silver, wasn't it, in 2021 in juniors, the Europeans? Is yeah. he still part of your string? Yeah, he is. He unfortunately had an injury before the Europeans. 
uh, this year as he, I was going to be taking him. And of course that was really sad, but we, cause he's such a special horse and he's also done Grand Prix in his time. We're just really taking our time at home to develop and then hopefully we'll be out competing this year. Oh, lovely. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I seem to remember that he had a, a sort of an indirect link to how you uh, came to, came to buy Geo. Is it, was, was it, did it all start because they look quite similar or, or something yeah, like that? it did. It started from a joke. Charlotte saying oh Sultan looks so much like pumpkin you should try him and they'd like they'd be so cute together and then (laughs) then the joke kind of developed into me actually going to try him and yeah (laughs) (laughs) gosh it's so funny how things work out um and I mean are they quite are they quite similar in in terms of character are they similar to ride obviously they look they look not 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 too different from each other like you say they are quite similar. I mean, they're both like cheeky. They're both quite little. So it it's cute having both of them in my stable. You know, they, they both love their food, especially Pumpkin loves his polos. And it's very <laughs> nice to have two little, like, they're like almost ponies. And they're so cute. And then when you get on them, they're so powerful. And it's like, it's just, it really, you know, makes like the partnership develop because you really like see their personalities shining through. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, one of the questions that I, I often like to, to ask riders is um, what what top horse they would uh, they would love to ride should the opportunity ever come up? I suppose to an extent, a lot of people would say pumpkin and for you that actually did come true. But are there are there any other top horses that you sort of watch and you think, oh, my gosh, I would just I would just love to ride a horse like that past or present? I mean, Glamadale, of course, looks amazing. He's so powerful and has so much expression. And I would love to, you know, ride him because he's just so different from like Pumpkin, you know, mm. with Pumpkin being so little and him being so big and having that huge canter. Whereas Pumpkin's highlights is really like in his Piaf and Passage work. So that would just be funny because obviously it's very different from what I'm used to. But I honestly don't think I would change Pumpkin for any horse. He, <laughs> he is really one of a kind. <laughs> Yeah. Oh gosh. He is so special. And so many people have really sort of fallen in love with him over the years. I know he sort of captured a lot of, a lot of hearts during his journey. And I mean, it must've been sort of quite surreal for you, I suppose, the, the, you know, the year before last when you were presumably watching him out at the Olympics with Charlotte and, and not realizing at that stage that in just a few months he would be, he would be yours. That must've been quite weird looking back in a way. Yeah, definitely. I was cheering them both on and I never <laughs> even, you know, imagined that I would then go on to try him a few months later after the Europeans and then we would end up buying him and I mean it's been amazing and it's crazy to look back and just see how well they did and now I'm Mm. able to compete with him as well. Yeah absolutely and in a similar sort of vein who are the who are the top riders that you really look up to I mean presumably Catherine and and Charlotte are right up there but anyone else that you sort of always always looked up to always sort of tried to to emulate or, or aspire to be like? I think I have to say Charlotte to that. I mean, I've always looked up to her and talking about things being surreal, I always used to look up to Charlotte before I even began to train with her. And I remember when I had my first lesson with her and I was super quiet, I was so shy because obviously I was training with someone that had been my idol for so many years. And now me and Charlotte actually have a really great relationship and a really great friendship. And, you know, when when Isabella was born, I went to train with Charlotte and Charlotte was like, oh, you have to hold her. And Aww. like, it just so surreal that, you know, once she was my idol and now we actually have a great friendship. 
Yeah, yeah, of course. And it's so lovely the way that, that horses can bring people together as well as obviously horse and rider partnerships as well. Um, obviously, you've made such a fantastic start to your Grand Prix career, as we've already talked about. Can you share any of your plans for the rest of this year and further afield? What, what do you sort of have coming up on the horizon? So obviously plans with horses are never really set in stone. Of course. But my next competition that I'm aiming for is Le Mans with Espe and Vamos. Espe has been selected for the Young Rider Nations Cup. So I'm really excited to get some Nations Cup experience at Young mm. Riders with her. And then I'll be doing the under 25s with Vamos just to really keep all my options open and to, you know, see how we would do at the under 25 level so obviously I am still in the youth level so that could be a potential that I'm aiming for however at this stage I'm really keeping all my options open I'm campaigning Espen Young Riders doing some seniors with Pumpkin and then having Vamos in the U25 and seniors it's great to just gain experience over across all of the levels and then with Pumpkin I'm just looking to gain more senior experience and to just enjoy it and to try and really you know, level up our Grand Prix and work on all of the small things that we're improving every time because at Addington, it really was so rewarding because we improved so much from our last Grand Prix in Exlu and I just want to keep improving on this journey with him and that's definitely one of my main goals for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And in terms of looking sort of even further ahead you know the next sort of five ten years looking looking right into sort of the depths of your dressage career what are, what are your sort of biggest dreams what, what are the things you've always sort of wanted to achieve I mean one of my biggest dreams has of course I think as every dressage rider always been the Olympics sure um that's definitely something that you know is one of my biggest dreams but we'll just see what happens and just keep on working hard and mm. maybe one day we'll we'll make it to the Olympics hopefully <laughs> well I think if any sort of rider your age has the has the potential to do so I definitely think you've uh, yeah got it in you <laughs> yeah. um, Annabella it's been so great to chat and I'm sure I'm not alone in being very excited to keep following your progress with the horses and see what you can achieve thank you so much for being a guest on the horse and hound podcast and best of luck with the rest of this year thank you for having me This episode of the Horse and Hound podcast is supported by Charles Owen. Charles Owen has long been a name synonymous with safety and research in the equestrian industry. Made in Britain, Charles Owen helmets are sought after around the world in every equestrian discipline. 95% of the company's helmets hold three equestrian standards or more, including British Paso 15 standard. So now we're going to hear from Claire Williams, Executive Director of the British Equestrian Trade Association, or BETA. Over to you, Claire. Hello. So today we're going to talk about safety standards, particularly the standards that we look at inside our hats. A lot of the time people wonder what a standard is. A standard is a document that's written to set a minimum measure against which items can be assessed and compared. So a safety standard sets down the minimum levels of performance to ensure that it does what's being claimed for it, so it basically does what it says on the tin, and to offer assurance to all of us as riders that whether we buy um, one brand or another, if they are made to the same standard, then we know that there's going to be consistency and that they should all perform the same. 
In Europe, um, we're part of the SEND group, and that still applies for the UK because we're still part of the standards making process. And standards are regulated throughout Europe. Um, they can be written for a whole different range of products. In the UK, we have the BSI, which is the British Standards Institute, and they're responsible for standards writing and the application of the European standards. And they also publish their own product approval specification, which we all know as PAS, which is the British standard responsible for that HAT standard. And the European standards are set by technical committees with working groups, writing all of the European standards across all topics and products. And we have for the HAT world, TC158, which looks after head protection for all types of sport, and working group 5 is responsible for our HATs. When we look about safety standards, they can be written for lots and lots of different products, anything that offers personal protection, so that's where the PPE comes in. Now when we actually look at a standard, think of it as a recipe. We have ingredients, and the ingredients in effect are the tests that the hats are put through. The quantities of the ingredients are the level to which those tests are carried out, or the performance criteria. And then the methodology, i.e. how you put your recipe or your standard together, is how they actually carry out those tests on the hats. And that's why you can get hats that are all made to the same standards quite often looking quite different. The key is that they all perform to the same level. Now the sorts of tests that a hat will be put through tries to replicate the type of accidents we have out in the field. So we have things like a flat anvil where the hat is dropped with what we call a head form inside and that hat is dropped onto a flat surface to unfortunately as we all know coming off on a horse and landing on a flat surface. We also have something called a hazard anvil or a V anvil and that replicates landing on a sharper object. There's also a test which we in the standards talk about a mechanical strength test but to, to you and I it's going to be an, in effect a crush test. And then we also test the harnesses to make sure that the harness is going to stay on the hat, i.e. it's going to keep it on our head. And then we also have a penetration test. Now not all standards have all of these tests in and that's why it can be so confusing when we try to compare one hat to one standard with another hat from another standard. And then we also have the, the severity of the test, so how much G um, or force is allowed to go through that hat, because don't forget we're trying to protect not just our skull, but also the brain inside it. And then in the future we're also looking at a new test which is going to be a rotational test, so that when you have those tumbling falls, which causes your brain to rattle around inside your skull, that's going to protect or offer you more protection from them. Now when you look at all of the standards, all of those numbers can be incredibly confusing. If we break down the standards, thinking of all the standards probably you most commonly see in hats, uh, in the UK we are most used to seeing the PAS 015, the VG1 relatively recently, the SNEL, the EN1384 and the ASTM F1163. Sounds really confusing, I know. The key is just to realise that each one tends to come from a part of the world, and so the tests and those standards will reflect the conditions 
in that part of the world as well. When you think about something like the PAS 015, that is the British Standard, published by BSI. The VG1 is an interesting one. The VG actually stands for Vertical Group, and that's because when the old European Standard, the EN 1384 2012 was withdrawn in 2014 for safety reasons, um, it sort of went into a bit of an abeyance while we were all furiously trying to write a new European standard that didn't come out in 2017 but wasn't harmonised and I'll tell you what harmonisation is very soon because it's very relevant for something that's going to, that's just happened. The SNELL is an American standard, um, something quite different. It started out as a skiing helmet standard and that is perhaps known by most eventers out there as the one they would choose because it offers the most or the highest level of crush so that if you are cross-country riding, you come off and a horse is going to fall on top of you. That's the hat perhaps that you might think of wearing first because it will offer that extra protection against crush. When the uh, European standard was withdrawn, the VG1, the vertical group, who were all of the testing labs around Europe, got together and said, OK, we want to be consistent when we're talking about CE marking, and so let's agree those extra tests that we'll put on the old European standard to try and lift it up in performance. And that, in effect, was the European EN 1384-2017. And that's served us very well for the last nine years or so. So we've got the European, we've got the PAS, we've got the VG1 as part of the European, we've got the SNELL, which is the High Performance American Standard, and then you've got the ASTM F1163, which is, I suppose, the USA's equivalent to the PAS 015. It doesn't offer as much protection as the PAS 015. It has no penetration test. Um, no crush test and no hazard anvil. It's about to be updated though in the very near future and it is going to increase the, um, the, the level of protection offered. That's, that's probably the main standards that we see. Just looking back at the EN 1384, the newest version, the EN 1384 2023, has literally just been published and that adds an increased level of protection, bringing it almost but not quite up to the level of PAS 015. The new European standard, however, does still need to be harmonised. And harmonisation is something that happens in Europe because all safety products have to meet the PPE regulations, which have something that talks about basic health and safety requirements. So if you're putting a safety product onto the marketplace, it has to have a technical file and that technical file has to explain to the users how it performs its safety requirements. So basically, how does it keep you safe? The easiest way of, of meeting those basic health and safety requirements is to reference a standard, a European standard that has been harmonised in your technical file because harmonisation means it has a presumption of conformity, i.e. that it conforms to the PPE regulation. And so that's why so many people use standards as that basic reference point. Now, the 1384 to 2023 has not yet been harmonised. Once it's been published, it has to go into, trans into translation 
Um, for those of us on the working groups, we all know what's in the standard because we helped write it. However, for a lot of manufacturers out there, they don't know exactly what's in it, not until it's published. So they are all given a, a transition period during which they can still make hats to the older standard or the VG1 as it stands, but then they have a chance to do any changes they need to to their hat designs. Um, and we don't know what that transition period is yet, and it has to be harmonised. So harmonisation is likely to take place in the next six months or so, we hope, and once it's harmonised, then people will use that as a reference point for CE marking. It doesn't mean the hats that you're currently using um, are redundant in any way. The VG1, uh, currently they don't know whether that will continue. It's highly unlikely to, but car companies will in the meantime continue to make to the VG1. And once a hat is on the market, so once you've either bought it or it's sitting in your retail store, then you can continue to sell it. That's absolutely not redundant. The other point to think about, and which confuses a lot of people, is the CE mark. The CE mark is not a standard. In itself, it does not have any criteria. What it does, though, is it says this product meets the PPE regulations and is safe to use. So that's why we always look at the CE mark. It's compulsory in Europe, and now that we've left Europe, the UK CA mark is the UK equivalent. The other thing you'll see on your hats often are what we call quality marks. Quality marks are things that say we keep an ongoing look at the product. Once you have met a standard, so if you make a hat, you go and have it tested to the new standard, it meets the 1384-2023, and you keep making that hat exactly the same for years and years, that hat need never ever undergo another test again. And we know that raw materials change, staff change, so there can be variations in manufacturing practice. And that's why people go, go down the safety mark. For body protectors, for example, you'll also know the beta label on your garments. That is the quality mark for your body protectors. For hats in the UK, it tends to be the kite mark. In the US, it's the SEI mark. And in Australia, it's the SAI mark. And the Snell has its own inbuilt quality system. And that quality system could involve factory visits, it could involve batch testing, it could involve market testing. But they all ensure that the hat not only makes meets the standard when it's made, when it's first made and when it passed the test, it keeps meeting the standards longer term. Standards are used to set a bar. So the manufacturers can go up to that bar, but they can also go beyond that bar. Not all safety products have to meet a standard. As I say, a harmonised standard gives that presumption of conformity. It's an easy way. However, people can and do put safety products on the market without meeting a standard. A good one, for example, is air vests. Air vests do not have their own equestrian standard. We've almost finished writing one, but it isn't quite finished yet. So you will see, for example, air vests on the market either referencing the motorcycle air vest standard or no standard at all and that is absolutely legal as long as they have a technical file and that technical file meets the requirements of their notifying notified body the notified body is the person in effect that gives it its EC or UK certificate of conformity to say 
it meets the PPE regulations, you don't actually have to meet a specific standard. For most of us though, certainly when it comes to hats and body protectors, we'd never buy a piece of equipment without one. So there you go. Hopefully that's clarified all your queries you've ever had about safety standards. Hope you have a great season and good luck out there. Well, thank you, Claire. And thanks to Annabella Pidgeley for joining us today too. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Horse and Hound podcast, supported by Charles Owen. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks' time on the 27th of April, when we'll be talking to Felicity Collins about her first badminton last year and her hopes for the Spring Five Star next month. Talk to you then. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.